Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so please open your Bibles to uh, Revelation 15. And even though I started with a, with a you know, lame joke, uh, this passage is, is no joke. This passage is actually very, very serious, very sobering. And let's, let's pray and let's ask for God's help and for God's guidance. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your salvation, God. Thank you that we belong to you. You have sealed us with the name of your son and with your name. We belong to you and and nothing or no one can separate us from you, from your love. And Lord, we are exceedingly thankful for your salvation, God. We praise you for that. And I pray that as we look at this passage that talks about that salvation, but also talks about the judgment on those who continue in their worship of the beast, in their unrepentance, we pray that you guide us, that you give us wisdom. You pray, we pray that you lead me in the words that I'm about to say, Lord, that I would preach the message that you want us to learn and to, and to understand as a church so that we would grow closer to you, so that we would grow more and more in our love for you, in our, uh, in our praise to you for your grace, Lord. May we understand your grace and your justice and your holiness. We ask for all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to read chapters 15 and 16. And before we read, I I, I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, I want to give you some context, just kind of trying to see where we are in the book of Revelation. And you may remember that that towards the beginning of this series, we talked about um, the seven the seven seals, and then we talked about the seven trumpets. and And one of the things that we concluded, one of the things that we learned, is that those seals, those trumpets, uh, the purpose that they served were to, or or was to warn people about God's coming wrath. And even though, for example, when you look at the trumpets, even though, yes, a third of humanity and a third of the earth and a third of the water and a third of the rivers and a third of the, of the planets are hurt, are, are destroyed, um, we concluded that just the simple fact that this was a limited judgment was a sign of God's mercy, right? The fact that instead of wiping all of humanity and saying, you're done, he was actually sending these trumpets as a warning, right? As, a, as something that would warn people and hopefully bring them to repentance. Um, but today we are getting to a point, or we get to the point where the judgment is no longer partial. We get to the point where it doesn't say in a third of humanity, a third of the sea or whatever, it says, everyone. This is an absolute 
judgment is everyone who continued in the worship of the beast. Now, we, we have already talked about, um, we have already asked the question a couple of times, well, is God unfair or is he, is he a bloodthirsty God or is he evil? Is he, is he not merciful? And the last couple of Sundays, we responded to that question from, from the perspective of saying, or, or, or we responded to that question by looking at everything that he has done in warning people before this judgment comes. And that way we, you know, we talked about how God in reality is so merciful that he warns people over and over and over. He warns people through the trumpets, through the seals. He warns people through his prophets. He warns people through his messengers. And we talked about the greatest act of mercy from God, which is he sent his son Jesus to take his wrath upon himself. And so if that is not mercy, if that is not a, a, an act of God's grace, then, you know, if, if you don't believe that that is an act of God's grace, then it's going to be really hard to convince you or to convince someone else that God is a merciful God because he sent his own son and the wrath that was meant for his enemies, which were all of us, was placed upon his son so that everyone who would believe in him would not have to endure his wrath. And so we see that God is merciful and that he warns before his wrath. God is merciful in that he sent, he provided the solution for that. He provided the satisfaction for his wrath, which was the death of his son, Jesus. And then not only that, but he sends his two witnesses or he sends his 144,000. He sends his army to go and preach the good news of the gospel. He sends his army to proclaim the message of salvation. And, and when we looked at chapter 14, the, the first half of chapter 14, we saw that this message of salvation, this message of warning includes several things. So the, 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 the message that the church should be proclaiming is, well, that God created everything and therefore he should be feared and worshiped and glorified. Also, that the system of this world, which is described as Babylon, is already fallen, is already bankrupt, and therefore people should leave this or, or should, should flee from the immorality of Babylon. And lastly, that the full strength of God's wrath is going to be poured upon those who continue to worship the beast and receive a mark on their forehead. So that is the message that the church should be proclaiming. God is a creator and therefore we should worship him. This system is bankrupt and, and therefore you should flee that system. And third, God's wrath is coming upon those who continue in their unrepentance. And so again, we have responded to that question, right? Of, of saying, well, is God then, is he mean or is he evil? Is he bloodthirsty. And, and like I said, we already responded to that question from that perspective. But there is one more perspective that we haven't quite explored yet. And that also speaks about God's mercy and God's justice and God's holiness. And that is 
would God really be a loving God if he didn't punish evil? Right? I mean, people would say, well, but if he's a loving God, like why doesn't he save everyone in the end? Well, would you want for everyone to get an, you know, A plus when, when no one went through the process? Or would you want God to, to look at, at someone, you know, who has sinned against him or, you know, who has committed murder or lied or whatever sin it is and just say, no worries, you continue in your in unrepentance against me, but because I'm such a good God, come here, come along with everyone else. Even though you've persecuted my church, even though you've persecuted my people, you've denied me, you've denied the sacrifice of my son, Jesus, just come, it's all good. No, God would not be a just God or a, a fair or a righteous God if he just, you know, covered up sin. He does cover sin. He atones for sin by the death of his son, Jesus. But the means for covering that sin, the, the means for him to forgive that sin is through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus but he would not be a good God if he just said, oh, you know, yeah, you did all those things. Don't worry. We'll just, you know, uh, sweep him under the rug, forget about them, and, and, and here you can come here with everyone else. Does that make sense? Like what, does what I'm trying to communicate make sense? So in this passage, we're going to look at the seven bowls of God's wrath and the point that I want us to see here, I believe that the point that this passage is trying to make is that God's judgment is um, God's judgment is a proof of his righteousness, a proof of his justice, and a proof of his goodness. In other words, when we look at these judgments, when we look at the wrath of God, we should be able to see that he is a just and a holy and a good God. So that's what we're going to see today. And let's read verses. Actually, I'm, I'm going to start with chapter 15. We're going to talk about it, and then, and then we'll move on to chapter 16. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of gold in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels 
seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So one of the images that John has been communicating throughout this book is that image or that, that uh, theme of the new exodus. Now, this is not a theme that I have highlighted so far. And uh, honestly, there, you know, there's so many themes that it, it's difficult to highlight everything. Maybe when we finish Revelation, we just have to go back and look at it from a different perspective. But we're not going to do that. I think it's going to be a while uh, uh, until we preach Revelation again. But <laughs> next time Jordan is going to preach through it. Um, but one of the themes that we see very clearly here, it becomes very, very clear, is that theme of the new exodus. And so th this image is meant to bring us back to that moment in the exodus when the people of Israel have already crossed the Red Sea. God miraculously opens the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. And then Pharaoh, who is God's enemy, who has been persecuting God's son, Israel, Pharaoh is finally destroyed. Pharaoh and his army. And then on the other side of the sea, we have the people of Israel, and they sing a song to God. They sing a song of worship to God. And so this passage is, is very much bringing us back to this scene, right? We have a... We have a uh, so, you know, he says, I saw a sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels, seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. So he introduces us to that, you know, to the seven angels and the seven plagues. But immediately after that, he goes on to, to show us something else, almost like a prelude to, to the seven plagues. And so he saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, right? And so that, that sea of glass... Uh, that sea of glass and fire reminds us of the Red Sea that the Israelites had just crossed. And those who conquer the beast in its image, the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So once again, we are shown a vision of God's people triumphant in heaven, right? We are brought to heaven and we are shown God's elect, the 144,000 who are there they are already triumphant. They have already conquered the beast and its image and, and, and the, the number of the beast. They have already conquered and they are there in God's presence just like the people of Israel who had crossed the Red Sea. They are there. God has saved them and now they sing a song of praise to God. And this song has uh, several points that I would like to highlight through this message and, and not just the song, but overall the entire section. But some of the things that I want us to see in this song is number one, God is incomparably great. God is incomparably great. Remember, um, remember what the worshipers of the beast said of the beast? They would say, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Well, we, we learned that that was, that was a mockery. That was, that was a, a, a counterfeit worship to a counterfeit God, 
to which you know which was the beast but in reality this this wording is taken out from the original song of moses in in exodus 15:11 this is what exodus 15:11 says who is like you o lord among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in splendor doing wonders so the beast has this false worship that he ascribes himself but God is truly the one that is incomparable. God is the one that, that is, is great over any other God, over any other false God like the beast. Now, all that the beast can do to prove its power is, you know, he is given to perform a few signs here and there. He is given to kill the witnesses, right? He is given to... to to, to conquer the two witnesses, the church. But we learn, right, that, that the dying of the witnesses is actually their victory, is actually their, their exaltation. So in that regard, the beast does not have that much of a victory, but that's all the beast can do to prove its power. And so it's almost like in chapter 15, God is saying, all right, cool. That was a valiant effort. Now let me show you what I can do. And so these are the, the seven seals of, or sorry, the seven plagues of, of God's wrath. This is God showing his power over the beast. This is God showing that ultimately he is the only true God. If you think about it, you, this, this is actually a, a really interesting study, maybe something we can do in the future. But when you look into the book of Exodus and you look at each one of the plagues, some studies have been done to say that each one of the plagues was counter, uh, countering e- e- an Egyptian god. And so it's almost like God was having this display against the Egyptian gods, right? And so he would, he would uh, uh, send a plague over the Nile. And, and sorry, I'm not familiar with my Egyptian uh, uh, theocracy. I, I don't know the names of their gods. But basically, God was displaying his glory against each one of the Egyptian gods. And so in this passage is the same thing. God is displaying his glory against the beast. He is showing how he is so much greater, so much more powerful than the beast by sending these plagues. So God is incomparably great. Another point is that God is just and his judgments are right or they are just and this is this is from my perspective it seems like this is probably the main point of the whole passage that god is just when he judges god is just in sending these plagues and so we see those things and sorry i failed to uh to to read from from the from the text and show you that. But notice how it says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So right there, this song is is proclaiming God's justice, God's uh, um, righteousness. Everything that God does is righteous, is just. And I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a little bit to chapter 16. Um so that we see how his justice is also highlighted. In fact, I'm thinking I'm just going to go I'm just going to read the whole chapter now and and then I'll just reference back to it. Chapter 16 verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice 
from the temple, telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Notice how this is complete judgment. This is not in a third of every, of, of every living thing, but it says, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Then they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and source. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked to be, to be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great, a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The city was split into three parts, and the, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the Great to make, her, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from, the, from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So obviously we see some really severe plagues, but again, remember the words of uh, remember the words of John. It says, "Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished." So these plagues are so severe because this is it. This is the end. This is God's final display of judgment upon His enemies. And so these are severe. These are not like the trumpets that were partial, 
that we're, uh, that we're, we're meant to warn people, these bowls of God's wrath are meant to finish God's judgment, to finish God's, um, God's punishment. But notice the point that I, was, that I was making is that God is just and his judgment is righteous. Notice how in verse, uh, in chapter 16, verse 5, one of the angels says, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So this passage, as, as severe as it is, this passage should make us go back and say, God is a righteous God. God is a just God. Like I said, we already talked about why he is merciful, why he has given so many warnings, why he sent his son, Jesus. But this passage is meant to show us that even in his full wrath, he is a holy God and he is a righteous. He is a just God. That ultimately, even though he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, when the wicked continue in unrepentance, when the wicked, when the, when the sinner continues rejecting God, when the sinner has seen God's grace, has seen signs from God, when the sinner has been in contact with God's people who are proclaiming the gospel, when the wicked has been encountered with the gospel message of Jesus on the cross and continues to reject and sometimes even to persecute God's people, then the only thing that is fair, the only thing that is just is for punishment because they have sinned against a holy God. God's holiness, another point from this song and this passage is that God's holiness calls for fear and wisdom. Look at the song again in, in chapter 15, verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. When we look at God's mighty deeds of salvation, when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, when they saw the 10 plagues and when they saw the Red Sea open, even though the response should have been, you know, that of thankfulness, I think that the first response should have been that of, of Peter when he saw Jesus perform miracles of saying, Whoa, who are you? De you know, depart from me. I'm, I'm a sinful man. When we see God's mighty deeds of salvation, our first reaction should be fear. Our first reaction should, should be that of, of saying, whoa, this, this is too great for me. Right? Sometimes we... we make the mistake of painting God or, or, or um, you know, picturing God or imagining him as this, like, you know, just good old grandpa. He's, a, he's kind of a, I mean, sometimes the way that the world 
pictures him, he's, you know, kind of a loser or, or not, you know, not really that powerful. I think I've shared with you that uh, in Mexico, a lot of people, when they are talking about God, sometimes they would say, little God. They would say, Diosito, Diosito. He is no little God. He is great. He is incredible. He is so powerful. Just look at everything that he has done. Just look at, uh, look at everything you read in the Bible about what he has done. Look at what he has done in your life. He is no little God. He is holy and he should be feared. But he not only, he, he, it's not only that he should be feared, he also should be worshipped. And so that's the beautiful thing, that even though he should be feared, he is a good God. He is a loving God. He is powerful. Make no mistake. He is extremely powerful, but he's also a good God. And so we can go from fear of him to worship of him because he is good. Because he has saved us. He is also the king of the nations. He reigns. He is, he is sovereign over everything. Again, look at the song. At the end of verse 3, it says, Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. God is sovereign. God is ruler over all nations. But one of the things that, that it's a little bit different from the song that people sang originally in, in Exodus after they crossed the Red Sea, and this song that John is, you know, rewording, reinterpreting, is that in this case, God is the God of all nations. All nations are included. And that's one of the, that's one of the main things that we have seen in the book of Revelation. That God's salvation reaches out to all peoples, right? Remember, John hears the number of the 144,000. And what he hears is this militaristic Jewish census-like list of people, right? This is an army. It's a Jewish army. It's the army of the Lion of Judah. Very, very Jewish, very militaristic. But then when he sees, what does he see? He sees a an innumerable multitude of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. God's salvation reaches out to all people. God is not exclusive in saying, well, you know, just you are, you are Jew, so yes, you're saved, and, and you're American, so yes, I'm going to save you, but, you know, you, unfortunately, you were born in this other country, so nope, I'm not going to, no. That's not how God is. God is so great, so merciful that his salvation is available to all. God is king of the nations. Yes, God is king of Israel, but he is also king of the nations. Salvation, like we sang earlier, salvation belongs to the Lord and he can save all nations. He can save everyone. But again, we go back to the point, well, 
Or what about those that continue in their unrepentance? Well, God is patient. He is merciful. He has been warning people. He has been sending uh, signs and messengers and, and all sorts of things to get people to repent. He sent the trumpets. But notice how in verse 8, it says that the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the, se of the seven angels were finished. And I think this speaks of the opportunity to repent, the opportunity to enter into the sanctuary and be forgiven is, is done. And I think this is how God works. This is how we have seen God work through the ages. You look back in, in, into the Old Testament, you see that God will give a nation a chance to repent. God will give a nation an opportunity to repent. But whenever the nation continues in their unrepentance, whenever the nation continues in their idolatry, eventually we, we see that common phrase, well, the, 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 oh man, I can't remember the phrase now, but basically something to the extent of the, the, the fullness of, of their sins, the measure of their sins reached out to God's nostrils. In other words, the wickedness of this nation was so, so bad. And they had rejected God's warnings so many times that God's patience for them ran out. And so God go, goes and destroys a nation. We see that with the, with the people of, of Cana, right? One of the main questions that, that, uh, that people ask about the Bible is, well, Why did God command the people of Israel to go and kill everyone in Cana? Well, what we don't remember is that the people of Cana were already at that point. The people of Cana were already at the point that their sin had reached out to God and there was no return. Why did God punish the people of Israel? Well, same thing. Their sin had, you know, he had warned them with prophets and, 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 you know, his messengers, but they did not repent. And so it came to the point where God said, you are done. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. And so maybe to give you just a little bit of maybe uh, more theological kind of thinking, um, there are different views as to when these plagues are going to take place. Some people will say, well, these plagues already took place. They, were, they happened in 70 AD at the destruction of Jerusalem. This is the, the, the final destruction of Jerusalem. Some people will say, no, actually these plagues are, are just what is happening over and over throughout the course of history until the end. And then some people will say, no, actually, these plagues are talking about the very, very end. These plagues are future, and this is what's going to happen at the very end of the age. I, I'm, I'm open to, to see this happening over and over to a lesser extent. I mean, if you think about it, it happened with Jerusalem, right? They, they, 
uh, rejected the Lord Jesus and eventually they were destroyed. And then, you know, it, it happened throughout history. Rome, you know, Rome eventually was destroyed. And you can think of all the great empires and all the great nations in the world that have continued to reject God. And then there comes a point where God says, that's it. You're done. But at the same time, this passage, I look at it and it just sounds very final. I mean, it's, you know, look again at verse 1. These, these plagues are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And so I think this gives us a good balance of saying, well, even though these plagues would, you know, would happen at the, at the end of the age, these are the final plagues of God's wrath. None of us should presume and say, oh, well, you know, since that's going to happen in the future, I don't have to worry about that. I can just, you know, continue doing whatever I want. Because I think we should be aware that God can punish people whenever he wants. We should be aware that God can rightfully and justly bring judgment upon people that remain in unrepentance against him. I feel like these uh, plagues, I, I, I guess I, I was debating as I was preparing. I was debating and saying, okay, should we spend the time and, and look into each one of the plagues and look into each one of the details? And honestly, I'm still debating that. I don't know if we should just, you know, at the end of this sermon, we should just move on with chapter 17 or if, we should, or, or if next Sunday we should go back and look into the plagues. Um. But again, the thing that these plagues reveal, and, and you know, I think I've, I've already made my choice. I think we're probably going to go back to them a little bit. But again, what these plagues reveal is the justice of God. What these plagues reveal is that sin will not go unpunished. Is that God's holiness requires that sin would be punished. But the great news, the amazing thing for us, for everyone who is in Christ Jesus, is that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So these plagues, you don't have to be a part of this. You don't have to endure these plagues. You don't have to endure God's wrath. He has already taken care of the problem. And so if you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you trust in the completed work, in his completed work on the cross, that he took on God's wrath upon himself, you can be saved. You don't have to endure these bowls of God's wrath. And so all of us who have received this salvation, this should be our song. This song, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, this should be our song. It should be a song of worship, a song of praise, just like the people of Israel who had just crossed the Red Sea. We should sing this song as well as people that have been spared from God's wrath and who have been saved. So I'm going to finish here by reading this song once again, and then we will take time to 
remember the Lord's sacrifice. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your justice, for your righteousness. There is no one like you, Lord. Thank you that even though you are a God to be feared, even though there is no one like you, you are incomparable. You welcome us by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. You welcome us into your family. We become a part of your kingdom, a part of your people because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we are extremely thankful for that. We, we are like the people of Israel, having just been spared from judgment, having been delivered from enemies, from those who persecute us, from those who want to destroy us, from the beast, from the image of the beast, Lord. We can celebrate that you have displayed your power against your enemies and that you have delivered us, God. Thank you for your salvation, God. We praise you. You are king of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.